Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On Friday, we saw the Dow drop 622 points. That's 2.5% wiping out all of the gains that we had seen in an otherwise very strong week. In fact, the whole month of April was strong. The S&P was up more than 12%. The Dow was up over 11%. Do you realize that the month of April was the stock market's best month in 33 years? So what happened? Are we nervous about the U.S.-China relationship? Trump did threaten tariffs to retaliate against Beijing over its handling of the pandemic. Are we nervous about the American economy? 30 million people unemployed, manufacturing data showing contraction, tons of small businesses still closed or limited to a (coughs) fraction of their normal capacity. Are we nervous about company earnings? We've seen a quarter of S&P 500 companies withdraw guidance so far, and we're still at the very beginning of Q1's earnings season. We saw Amazon drop 7.6% on Friday after warning it's spending all $4 billion that it expects in revenue this quarter. Or are we just seeing people taking profits? Uh, It's been a month-long rally. Could this be seasonality? Today on Dumb Money Live, we're going to share our thoughts on what might be going on and, more importantly, what we are doing in our portfolios in the event of another stock market This is Dumb Money Live with Chris Camillo, Dave Hansen, and Jordan McLean, streaming live on YouTube. We are Dumb Money. Hey there, Dave here along with Chris and Jordan. Welcome to Dumb Money. It is Monday, May the 4th. Be with you. I'm ready to tell you exactly what I've done to prepare for the crash or even just to slow down. I actually made 11 trades on Friday. Very unlike me. How about you guys? Did you make any trades Friday or this morning? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was trading, Dave. Um, <clears throat> I mean, more than anything else, I think what I did on Friday, Thursday and Friday, is kind of level out my portfolio, right? And what I mean yeah. by that is I am not, t- you know, I, I'm not super long. I'm not super short. In fact, you know, getting to the topic of this episode, um I've probably been putting in 16 hours a day of research over the past six or seven days. And my conclusion as to whether or not we're going to have a May crash, right? I mean, are we going to have a May crash? We're we not going to have a May crash is inconclusive. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that, that, nobody that, knows. Yeah. Yeah. You so can't I, tell, I, I you don't can't know. Tell markets, and, you can't predict it. There's, there's signs, you know, all kinds of weakness, but the stock market loves to go up. So. I'm preparing, but not certain that it's going to crash. Well, I'm not, listen, I'm not even preparing for a crash. Listen, back in late February, you know, I never really know, but I, I felt fairly high conviction that we had a, you know, uh, this this train headed and it was going to ultimately result in a market collapse. And fortunately, that was the correct call at the time. I don't feel that way now. Um and I'm not really making preparations for a market crash. I think more than anything else, I'm just unsure. And I don't want to put on a lot of leverage that costs a lot of money. Because when we put on leverage with in terms of options or even large short positions that cost interest, that costs us money. 
I really don't want to do that. So I took off all of my leverage last week. Yeah. Um, I went from, you know, I had at one point, as you know, the equivalent of 5,000 shares of Amazon between equity and options. I'm down to my old core of 1,000 shares of Amazon. That's it, 1,000 shares. And I'm down to my kind of core of 4,000 shares of Apple. I'm comfortable there. I'm comfortable <laughs> even if these things take a 10, 15% hit. I, I can live with that. 20% hit even, I could live with that. Um, but what I've been doing is I've been, I have a more balanced portfolio and it's kind of going with the methodology we've been discussing the last few weeks of winners and losers. I don't necessarily think we're going to see this grand wide market crash with you know all the sectors crashing at once. I do think we'll probably see a continuous continuation of winners and losers. Because if you look at the earnings, They've really been split. There's been companies like Chipotle, right? Uh, companies like Apple and Amazon, even they're obviously flourishing in this environment. Netflix flourishing in this environment. Now we can even debate companies all like Amazon that are, that are flourishing. They've they've announced a devastating thing to shareholders that, that they're not going to have any expectation of profitability in the next quarter because they're planning to spend four billion dollars. Yeah, and that's why I took my position down. It's a little less exciting, right, than, than it was before. Yeah. But still, I think there's companies you can feel pretty good about for the next six <clears> to 12 <throat> months, no matter what happens, right? Like whether we have, whether we come out of this, whether we're still in this, whether we're in this middle, you know, hybrid situation where we don't know if we're in it or not or how much longer it's going to last, there are a subset of companies that at an absolute minimum, are probably going to do okay, right? And I feel more comfortable yeah. being in those positions, but not levered in those positions, right? But just being in those positions and also, uh, quite honestly, shorting those companies that I feel are at risk in the event that things don't get better or they get worse. And you know, my largest short position had a great day today, uh, Dave & Buster's, we've been talking about it all month, uh, yeah. play is the symbol, P-L-A-Y. Uh, that was down about 10% today, and I just had a blockbuster day on Dave & Buster's. Now, they did raise money, though, Jordan, from Jefferies, the company we sold our company to, Ticker Tags. And Jefferies, you know, it's interesting because uh, they are pretty prudent when it comes to acquisitions. So they will bottom fish, but when it comes to making investments, uh, and I don't know the terms of that deal or what part of Jefferies committed the $100 million to Dave & Buster's, but I'm interested to know what they saw um, to even make that $100 million investment. I know it looks like they got some warrants for about 15% additional uh, value there, and they were investing pretty cheap. But still, Jefferies doesn't usually take that type of risk on uh, that I'm aware of. So I'm, no. I'm interested to know what they were thinking. Um, yeah, and that, I don't know how. I'm, I'm also short uh, Dave and Buster's through options that expire this month, uh, the, the May 22nd versions. But I tell you what I've done, and I'm not confident in stocks going up right now, but I really still like the balance of, you know, what I have as far as my allocation in stocks. So I'm basically taking taking most of my biggest positions and selling covered calls on those positions. So so I I've done that with uh Amazon. I we can go through all of them, but basically selling covered calls is typically a bearish position to be in, right? But the way I see it is I don't really see a lot of these companies having giant gains. 
but there's still companies that I want to hold for the long term. So if I can generate some income on those companies as they stay flat to go down, I can every week, and I got all of these that are expiring this week so that I have short time frame. If the companies go up, if Amazon goes up, which it has gone uh, up today, it looks like almost 1%, I can always buy shares. So I'm basically writing covered calls on the existing shares, but I could always buy shares at the strike price that I sold, keep the money on those, continue to hold the stock if it starts going up, if some news comes out on Amazon. So I don't feel like I'm really capping my, my gains the way you typically would when you're selling covered calls. But I've done that across the board. I did that in Shopify. I did that in Apple, Teladoc, which is one that I'm actually probably ready to sell anyway. So this is just my way of getting an extra $3 at a time until it finally uh, sells. Uh, I did that with Home Depot, which I'm also ready to sell. I did that with FLIR, which is that uh, thermal imaging company. Uh, I did it with Roku, which is one that I do want to keep, but I have these weekly options that are giving me a little bit of extra money in, in times when Roku... Is it up or down today? It, it's it's up, but I could buy it back. It Dave, can you like... tell us what what is the so you did this for this week, and we could talk about covered yes. calls and how they work. What what is the interest that you're receiving for the week? How much money are you making on your money in aggregate, approximately across yeah. all those covered calls that you're getting paid to give someone else the upside on your stock? Because that's what Dave is doing. He's essentially saying, "Hey, I'm willing to give somebody else." all the upside on the stock that I own in exchange for me collecting a fee from that person yeah. right now. That's the equivalent of what, one or 2% of your whole portfolio. So you get a 1% interest rate just for this week, just for one just week, for this week, you make up 1%. So in Amazon, it's uh one and a half percent in shop. Like, and, and the one that I was uh, getting to um, crown castle, that REIT, that is uh, my 5g play that one. I sold, I only have 500 shares, I think. So I sold five calls. They only, they don't have weekly, so they have monthly. So I actually have two weeks there, but I got $3.20 a share. So only $1,600. But if I were able to do that, not, I can't do it every week because they, they only have monthlies. But if I could do that every month, I'm getting 1% income for these two weeks. And if I could do that, it's, it's a 25% annual return plus whatever dividends they pay. So, so Dave, they, you're making about one half to one and a half percent of month. You're getting paid a half to one and a half percent on your stock for Weekly. per week, per week, pretty much, right? Is that about right? Yeah, which is that's right. Okay, now then I'm going to talk about what Dave is giving up and, and the risks that Dave is taking. And when you write covered calls, because so I think a lot of people write covered calls and don't understand the risk. Dave is giving up the upside. Okay. And he's also taking on the downside risk. So if the stock goes down, Dave has all the risk. He loses the money if the stock goes down. If the stock goes up, Dave doesn't make any money on the stock. But what does Dave does make is a guaranteed, let's call it 1%. So for every $100,000 of stock Dave does this with, he makes $1,000 this week. That's a guarantee. So if the stock goes down more than 1%, then Dave would start losing money. But if it goes down 1%, he kind of breaks even because he made the 1% guaranteed. And then if it just stays even, he makes 1%. If it goes down 1%, he kind of breaks even. If it goes down 2%, he loses 1%. If it goes up 5%, he still makes the 1% he got paid. I hope that makes sense to everyone. 
But the, and and the reason I'm doing this weekly is because if I can get that one percent every week, if it goes down and I technically am losing money, I'll do it again the following week with a lower strike price. These are and and I'm doing this with companies that I would like to continue to hold. My risk is the the stock will be taken away from me if the stock goes up. But my my philosophy is I'm going to be watching these. You know, this is this is a very active time. If I if I wanted to set it and forget it the way I normally invest and just invest in an ETF and the S&P 500 and just wait for it to keep going up over time. That's a very passive strategy. Right now, this has become my job. Watching the stock market is my job. And my job takes an hour a day. It's it's not like I'm I'm working 8 hours a day, but I'm watching it and if these stocks go up to a point where I am taking I'm I'm losing on the upside, I'll just buy more shares. I'll double down my position and buy shares in in these companies that I want to hold long term anyway. If it goes down, I'm not planning to sell this stock anyway, so I'm earning money while the stock goes down. And every week, if it keeps going down, I'm earning a little bit of money, 1%, 2% on that money on the way down. So weekly. Dave is making a bet on a fl- essentially a flat market because that's where Dave wins the most. Dave wins the most if the market doesn't move at all. When you're writing calls, you don't want the market to move at all when you're writing calls, okay? Yeah. So if, if the market's dead even, Dave wins. You know, if it starts to fall, Dave, you know, potentially potentially wins less, right? Or loses, depending on how much it falls. And if it goes up, you know, it's okay. But if it goes up more than a tiny bit, if these are stocks that Dave wanted otherwise, he potentially loses because he'll have to rebuy that stock at a higher price. And so that's, I think it's a reasonable, listen, Dave, it's something that I actually thought about doing for the first time in 20 years, as you know, last week, I did it. It lasted about an hour. Um, <laughs> I, I wrote, and I, we were both, we were both like contemplating this strategy at the same time. Chris did it and then was like, what am I doing? And closed that position out. I did it knowing that this is my this is going to be my weekly strategy in a time where I don't see the market going up big, I don't see the market going down big and I I feel a little bit more negative than positive as far as the direction of the market and we see that now the Dow is down like uh 3 quarters of 1% right now. Uh I feel like that this is the right play for me right now. So Dave, it's it, it, I'll I'll tell you if I were ever going to write options if i was ever going to sell sell calls on my portfolio this would be the time that i would do it i'm not doing it because unlike you i don't really have as much confidence that the market will stay kind of in a tight range i just don't know i'm i'm literally clueless as to whether we stay in a tight range like you think or we actually go up considerably or go down uh, a, a reasonable amount. So I'm in this kind of no man's land where I don't know, I don't have that conviction. And so when I don't have conviction, I have uh, a very regimented, uh, you know, regimented uh, theory on how I invest. I don't invest unless I have kind of conviction in something. So I'm just kind of staying flat, staying relatively neutral. I have a handful of positions. Uh, that I do believe in, um, but the, the macro market at large, I have less conviction in. Uh, I think it, it, I want to hear what you're doing, Jordan. But then after that, I want to talk about uh, 
what we're looking for. Because I've already told you I don't know, but that doesn't mean that there aren't things that I'm looking for, right? And what I mean by that is it's scenario modeling. I don't know what the market's going to do the next few weeks, um, but I do know of multiple scenarios that will take the market up and will take the market down. So what I'm focused on is intensely watching these things that we'll talk about on the show today that I believe if I can get even a slight jump, meaning an hour, two hours a day on the market in kind of seeing one of these things unfold, that I'll be able to adjust my portfolio either more long or more short to benefit uh, from that impending move in the market. So that's what I'll talk about on today's show. Jordan, what are your thoughts? So may crash, Jordan, may crash. Is it going to happen? I don't know. I I hope not. Um, but I'm trying to just prepare mentally um, if I see it coming, which I you know you probably won't. But uh, but yeah, I mean that's what I want to do. I want to be able to you know um, short the market if I think we're going to get another um, decent sized crash coming in. I'm sitting on a decent amount of cash too. So if that crash does happen, hopefully I'll pull the trigger this time at the you know somewhere near the bottom. Um, you, you would like, I think, based on what happened the last six weeks, there were a couple opportunities that you were prepared to go in. You kind of waited maybe slightly too long and you yeah. missed the window. You would probably like a downdraft in the market, wouldn't you, the next couple weeks? Yeah, I mean, I, I would. I would like it from a buying opportunity. You know, it's, you know, just from my holdings, I would hate it. Um, so it's, uh, you know, and it's also, it's a scary time when you get the market dropping, you know, a thousand points a day. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm basically being opportunistic. There are some things that I'm looking at buying, um, um, you know, just kind of riding through this earnings season, but I'm staying low. I got out of, you know, most of the stuff that I had last week, um, except for I, you know, I'm holding on to Amazon and Microsoft for the long term. Um, so, and by the way, I, I want to tease this. Um, at the end of today's episode, we're going to do a, a very small tease for our, is it the Wednesday episode, Dave? Yes, Wednesday, Peloton's earnings are coming out. And we have a very different view, Chris and I. And I and I think Jordan is also very pro-Peloton. And, and I'm, I don't think Peloton's going to do anything. So Okay, so this is going to be the greatest show we've had in a long, long time coming up on Wednesday. And we're going to we're just going to get a little bit into it at the end of this episode just to kind of tease what we're thinking. Um, but I have done more research on Peloton over the past five days, six, seven days than I've done on an individual stock in a very long time. And there are so many. We're going to go so deep. We're going to go so deep on Peloton. I'm pretty confident that no analyst has gone as deep as we're going to go into the Peloton trade this week. Okay. So that said, (laughs) before we get to that, we do have to remind you to smash the like button because that's, that's how people find us. The YouTube algorithm requires it. Otherwise no one will ever find us and we'll have to stop. Right now is the time to do it early in the, early in the show. um, I also, just listening to Jordan, it reminded me of a video that I watched on YouTube uh, this weekend. It was Graham Stephan's video about his video about the stock market collapse of 2020. And he he basically was recounting something that he saw on Reddit. And I've seen other analysts do the same thing. It's it's all about not timing the market, not trying to pick that bottom. Jordan's Jordan's like waiting to try to wait for the market to go down and, and pick the right time. 
he had this great analogy about three investors. One who picked the absolute best time, bought it at the lows and wrote it up. Every single time the market had a crash, bought it at the absolute bottom and wrote it up. Another who had the worst timing and bought it at the top and wrote it down. And another who put systematically $200 in a week, every week for 40 years. And guess who came out ahead? Yeah, I'm gonna guess it's a systematic guy. Well, <laughs> that, that, that that's because, listen, the, the reason why the systematic guy came out ahead, I'm, I'm assuming he came out ahead, because I've seen this before, is because the systematic guy is putting more money in earlier, right? So in general, the general thesis behind investing is the more money you put in earlier, the better off you are in a market that generally floats upward, right? Because the market over the past hundred years generally is gone like this. Now it's been like this, but it's been like this on an upward turn, right? So if you put more money earlier, you'll you'll do better, right? But yeah. and, and over time. So if you but but these three versions, and I, I can play the clip for you, the three versions are assuming that you have the same kind of income. And when you're not in the market, you're in a high interest, which doesn't exist now, 3% savings account. Um, so that's that's kind of the assumptions on this. But it's not necessarily that you're putting all of the money in. You're putting $200 in every month over 40 years versus picking the lows and the highs, which would assume that you're not taking all of your money and putting it in at one low. Yeah, but yeah, but Dave, I, I, I think, this I think is, Dave, the, the, the difference is if you're putting your money in... Um, at, at the lows, that would by definition mean you are pausing for some period of time, whereas yes. $200 every week guy, whatever it is, is just getting more money in to where he's not waiting you know, for those looks. And the, the, the reality is there haven't been that many significant monumental crashes, right? Dips to where you're going to get that big of an advantage, right? By waiting. So I, I get what he's I get what he's saying. Like, I totally get it. You want to be, my theory is, in a market that generally moves up, which is all markets, right, in general, for the most part, all, especially the U.S. market, you generally want to be invested, right? Over the Reddit long username. term. Sorry. Over the long term, longs do better than shorts, right? And this is why... Yes ultimately shorts get wiped out for long periods of time and, and they have to start all over. So you have people that have been investing long in the market for 40, 50 years. Shorts come and go. They'll be, you know, shorts will come in and they'll do real well for a few years and then they'll die out. And then a decade later, some new shorts will be born. They'll be in the media, right? You never see these shorts that have been around for 20, 30 years making money in the market. It just never happens, right? Because the market generally is an upward moving market. But I think this is valuable information and it's a short clip and I'm going to share this with you now. And it's what I, it's how I like to invest. I like to be as invested. I know Chris tries to be like more than 100% invested. I like to be 100% invested and Jordan likes to have a lot of cash. And this is for Jordan. Schneid analyzed the last 40 years of the S&P 500 and simulated three investing styles. Like Tiffany had the worst timing in the world and invested $200 a month in a high interest savings account only to invest it entirely at every single market peak right before a crash. After 40 years, her $96,000 investment turned into a 
$663,594 mini fortune. At the exact same time as that, we also had Brittany, which had the perfect timing in the world. She saved her money and invested all of it precisely at the bottom of every single crash, even though it would have been virtually impossible to time the market as well as she did down to the very day, her $96,000 investment turned into a $956,833 amount today. And then get ready for it, we got slow and steady Sarah. All she does is set $200 a month to automatically invest in the stock market regardless of what the news outlets say and regardless of where prices are. Guess what? After 40 years of doing that, she has $1,386,429. This just goes to show you that with real data and real numbers that trying to time the market is horribly inefficient. And instead, it's best just to invest consistently and then do nothing for a really long time. And three, don't not invest for too long because sitting there waiting for a crash may not ever happen. Again, there have been articles coming out like this for years now, dating back all the way to 2013, calling for the next stock market drop that's just never happened. Just imagine reading one of these articles in 2013 when the S&P 500 was trading about $1,500 and then thinking to yourself, oh yeah, it's overpriced. I'm going to wait for the next drop and then I'm going to buy in even lower. Well, I guess in hindsight, that would have been really stupid. Overall, for the majority of people out there, in most situations, you're going to be best off just investing a consistent amount of money every single week long term, then you would be holding all of your cash just waiting for this magical rainbow of an opportunity to open up where it's like, here you go. This is your magical opportunity to buy in at the bottom of the market. Just put all of your He's great. <laughs> you, you know, you know how much I despise like investing YouTubers because I just I I they're just generally completely and utterly wrong about 95% of the times when they talk. But but Graham is great. I mean, almost everything that Graham puts out, I generally agree with. And there's everything he's saying about this is totally correct. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. I what I like to keep cash for cuz I'm I'm still like 70% invested. Um but I like to keep cash for a few things. One is that when there is a drop, I don't have to sell anything. Um, two, um, we do a lot of private investing, and I like to be able to just transfer those funds and, again, not have to sell anything, not worry about if the market is going up or down and let that influence my private investing. Um, and then also to look for opportunities. Yeah, so for me, it's, you know, like I said, it's more about leverage, right? So yeah. if the market, if I feel the market is going to drop, you know, because I'm seeing something right happening, I, you know, I, I'm happy to hedge my portfolio and I'm happy to go along with leverage on the way back like I did this last time. But why don't we talk about more in a more granularity? We've kind of all I think the three of us pretty much agree that a may crash. We're not saying it's going to happen. We're not sure. Could it happen? Yes, it could happen. Let's talk about something more important. What are we looking for? What are the things that we think would precede, directly precede a May crash? Because that is the more important question, right? The way more of an important question. And then what are the things that would impede a crash in May, right? Or, or, or potentially send the market the other way. You guys have any thoughts? I, mean, I have a few. Yeah, so I'm yeah, keeping no, an eye on um, all the, you know, again, back to the back to the numbers of infections and things like that. Um, I'm keeping an eye on, you know, I've got that little um, website project, and I'm looking, and 
man, Cook County, Illinois is looking terrible right now. Jordan, can you tell can you tell our viewers what that is? Uh, so if they want to go on your site. Oh yeah, just jordanmcclain.com. I've got um, a little dashboard that lets you graph things. Um, it's via, really cool. You know, all the way down to the county level of what's going on. You know, with the current situation, and um, it's the only place I, I haven't been able to find a place you can do it at that granular of a level. Um, and so, you know, and what was really can, cool is Jordan, he, he's benchmarking this to like, you know, the US or benchmarking yeah. against what New York, right? right? You can do that. So, Dave, go to Illinois and then go to Cook County, Illinois, and it's, um, it's bad, right? So, look, look at this. What um, is that benchmark against, Jordan? That's USA? against New York City. New York City, okay. Yeah. So, the benchmark's New York City, and look, I mean, they're, they're, they're accelerating. Um, yeah. Still, which is a kind of a scary but, situation. But Jordan, my question to you is because whenever I see something like that accelerating, the first thing that pops in my head because mm-hmm. I'm pretty neutral on all this stuff. I'm, I'm not yeah. one side or the other. Is is the acceleration in case count due to more testing that I think some places regionally, in at a regional level, some places are doing more testing that could impact the test count. Where I wish that this chart was was hospitalizations because hospitalizations seems like such a really nice mm. uh, you know, yeah. number that you can rely on. But you, yep. we don't have that data, unfortunately. Yeah, we don't have that data, unfortunately. And, and the death um, data lags too far behind. So it's like not current enough. So yeah. right. I, I wish we had hospitalizations. I'm, I'm keeping as close of an eye on as possible, especially during this great, I, I call it the May experiment, what's going to happen right. when you have some states opening up completely, other states staying closed, we should be able to see some differences in the numbers, it, you know, as, as granular as we can find it. Um, yeah, so my worry would be know. that, you know, if we're, uh, you know, we're banking on that, you know, Texas is going to go well, and then, you know, then other states will follow suit. If it doesn't go well, you know, I think you could, I think you get scared. Uh, you, you could scare some investors, right? And then, yeah. So, so well, we're we've looking- already seen, we've already seen in Texas, we've started to see, you know, the curve was flattened, but now we're starting to see an uptick in cases uh, already. And, and some of it, that could be due to more testing, but uh, it also could be it, that more yeah. people are. Uh, it I, could I, be in Dallas. Go, go to Dallas. Dallas is, uh, at their all, is at the all-time high for new cases today, too. Again, I, I, I really, I, I, I have, I'm skeptical of that metric. Yeah. Because that metric could be so easily skewed by more testing. I'm hearing that there are areas where cities and states are either a whole company's getting tested or a whole division of government is being tested sure. or the entire prison is being tested. Right? Like we weren't doing that a few weeks ago, but and it's very sporadic. So it's not like one city might be doing no more testing than they were a few weeks ago, where another city just because of a major company that's like met or a government or a city that's saying, hey, we want all of our workers to be tested or all all sanitation workers mm-hmm. to be tested. Like that makes a huge difference in these numbers. And as a natural skeptic, I'm always trying to figure out what could be skewing the data, what's behind the data. Yep. Because you can't just trust, you know, the output. You need to know the input as well. Um. And, I, and so what I'm paying close attention to, it's more qualitative small data, but I'm going on Twitter and I'm looking for keywords of a lot of nurses will talk about hospitalization, like nurses will talk about whether they're seeing more or less cases coming to the hospital in the last few days. 
and, and often you'll be able to pick up just so, just some uh, you know uh, sporadic qualitative uh, informational data that could be anecdotal. But that small anecdotal data, I think, could be really powerful when a nurse is like, hey, you know, we've seen cases go through the roof in the last 48 hours or they've dropped significantly. That hospitalization rate is what a lot of hedge funds I know are monitoring. They have this, these data sources that are incredible. They can actually see um, beds in hospitals filling in the moment within hours, like hour long delays, which is really cool. Um, I would be looking at that stuff qualitatively yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also percentage of, you know, test to positive outcomes, right? Yeah, that's a good data point, but could also be skewed really easily, right? Because if you're testing a ton of people and then, the, the you know, the percentage goes down of positives, you have to like look at the two numbers together. Like, well, did the test percentage go up? You know, like, so it, it gets... It's not as easy as every all these articles are being written every day and they're picking the data point that works for their thesis. Right. And that's where I'm being really careful in what I'm reading, not to trust anything, because really, don't you agree? The best number yeah. if we can get to get a feel for hospitalizations. Yeah, I agree. Be, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, re- really good. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what else I'm looking at. So de- Texas opened up. We open up restaurants. Not all restaurants are opened up. But I would say, what do you guys think? Would you say 35 to 40% are open? So what I've seen around here is, pro- is yeah, less than half. Less than half? Yeah. And But I, I don't see big dining room traffic yet from my drive-bys. Uh, I only see people still either picking up or, um, you know, doing like a patio situation. Yeah. Well, dining rooms are capped, though, at 25%. So, you know, you can't. Yeah. So my yeah. restaurant was open. Uh, we opened up on Friday, 25% capacity. Um, we have capacity for like 280 people. Uh, we operated uh, not quite at full 25%, but pretty close, reasonably close to 20, that 25% number. And the issue was we weren't taking reservations for the most part. So it was just kind of walk in. So I was pretty surprised how well we did um, all weekend long, brunch, dip, you know, dinner, um, what will be really interesting, I think, and a lot of other restaurants from what I, t- I rode my bike around guys all through like uptown this weekend, just looking at all the restaurants. I actually have a video I need to send you uh, of this one place, you know, that new ham place on, on Henderson for the Brazilian ham place. Yeah, the, yeah. the American they had a ham. DJ. ham. They had a DJ out there tr- uh, playing outside music, trying to get people to come in. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous, but I, a lot of restaurants were similar to that. What I'm curious about is the weekday traffic. Um, will the weekday traffic sustain or not? Uh, I think uh, that we're going to see a lot over the next couple of weeks right here in Texas, not in terms of infection rates and stuff necessarily, because I think it will take us about a month to see that, uh, whether that picks up, in terms of the economy, in terms of whether or not we are going to have a storyline that unfolds sometime in late June, uh, not, not late, late May, late May to early June, okay? And that storyline is, forget about the obvious bankruptcies that we're talking about right now, like it was a J. Crew and like uh, a couple other junky companies that are out there that are going bankrupt. Uh, I think that's when we're at risk of seeing massive, massive all of a sudden bankruptcies and business closures. And the storyline has potential at least 
to really go negative because I don't know if we don't come up from this 25% to 50% and then people are actually getting back to life in, in mass in the next three to four weeks. I don't know how any of these restaurants stay in business, any of these small businesses stay in business. That's what I'm looking for. So I'm, yeah. I have my feelers out there, right? And I'm just like talking to owners of restaurants. I'm, I'm watching closely what the capacity looks like, especially on weekdays. Because if all these restaurants that opened up start closing down, because they're just like, oh, forget it. You know, but by the way, most of us have government even, money even right if, now, right? Yeah, even if 50 percent, it's really hard for a restaurant to survive at 50 percent capacity. Right. So we know that we're going from 25 to 50. Restaurants that don't have 90 percent capacity have a hard time surviving. And we're we don't know how many months they're going to be required to have a diminished uh, you know, their maximum capacity is 50% or even 75%. So that's that's really rough for small businesses, whether it's a restaurant or or a, a, a salon or whatever, um, whatever it might be. It's it's just it's it's a challenging time to get through. And I that's that's definitely a sign that I'm looking for. Is there is there an advantage that you know that it's 20 capped at 25%? So like your food costs go down and you don't have to keep people on staff as much. Yeah, no, the I mean, fixed costs are pretty high in a restaurant. Yeah. It's it's as as soon as that PPP program money runs out, you're now having to decide: do we keep our full staff and have them underutilized, or do we cut our staff down to the twenty five percent to actually handle the twenty five percent of tables? You know, the kitchen staff is is going to have a little bit. You're going to have to have more people to. But it's it's so hard to manage a business when you have such a low expectation for revenue. It's very hard, Dave, and no one is talking about the fact that the only reason why all these restaurants are open right now is because we have government money that we basically are forced to employ all of our staff for the full month going through June, right? And as yep. soon as that money runs out, and it's going to run out in about four weeks, uh, at that point, you have to survive on your own. And that's a very, listen, we can survive at 15% capacity right now, but when the money runs out, we need to be at 75 all right. We need to be at 75 percent capacity. That's what we need to be uh, just to kind of survive at our restaurant. And I'm watching that really closely. So these are things if the, the hospitalization rate starts to tick up in Georgia, in Texas or anywhere else in the country for various reasons, that is potentially a huge red flag, I think, could send the markets down considerably. OK, um, I think if you start to have this this wave of, of bankruptcy and going out of business beyond what's already anticipated. Okay. Um, and that starts, that could happen pretty quickly over the course of like a week. That would be a major driver of the markets going down significantly. Let's talk about a third thing right now. If the Trump administration uh, does something outlandish again with China, Okay, which yeah. we've had some hints of that in the past few days. If they, if because they're looking, you know, a lot. I had a conversation with a couple dads in the neighborhood this weekend, and it was around, hey, we think that Trump is going to use China like he did with the wall during the last election, where he's going to have this, just like the whole, we're going to, we're going to build a wall, we're going to build the wall. He's going to be like, we're going to destroy China. We're going to literally destroy them because there's so much angst amongst that core group about just angry and he wants to if he does this thing where he's going to try to put massive blame on china right or wrong i don't even care i'm not getting political here but if he does that 
and it causes instability in supply chains between China and the rest of the world or China and the U.S., that has potential of adding massive volatility that could send the market both way down, like it did with with, with this last uh, tariff deal last year, and then way up when he goes, he's like, oh, we're good. We're making good. They're doing good, right? It's going to go up and down, up and down. So those are things that I'm really looking for on the downside, um, and I'm watching very closely. Um, now, on the upside, you know, why don't we talk about what, what do we think what do we think could propel the market higher, something higher than flat for the next month? I think if we see any kind of surprise in earnings to the upside or any kind of guidance that uh, the companies are actually looking to recover more quickly, we haven't seen that so far. We've seen companies like Apple say they're pulling guidance. Um, that it, it seems, though, that analysts haven't really been too upset with Apple or any of these companies pulling guidance because nobody can guide, right? It's, it's impossible. But if we started to see a company say, you know what, we see this getting better in Q4 or Q1 next year, or just giving any kind of indication as to their business starting to stabilize or get back to normal... I think that would be huge. I think any kind of uh, anything on the medical front, if we start to see a, you know, Rindivsevir has this weird emergency uh, approval, but it doesn't seem, it seems they changed the rules for what they were looking for. Instead of looking for mortality rates, they're now looking at uh, reducing your hospitalization stays by a couple of days, 10 days versus 12 days or something. It's It, it, it seems like a, a minimal impact. But if there's another drug that, in cooperation with that, that maybe they they work together, that could be big news. It's really kind of the same things that we were looking at a month ago. Health, well, business. Yes. Well, and oil has become a little less important because I think people just kind of have an assumption that the oil market's going to be junky and it's going to, and, and that, that expectation's out the window now. You hit yeah. on something, Dave, that's the number one thing I'm looking for. Jordan, we're talking about what we're looking for that could cause the market to jump up over the next, in May, right? And the number one thing I think, guys, is, is medical and, and a sp- specifically vaccine data. So there's this Oxford vaccine study. And that appears to be the study that is likely to release data potentially in the next two to three weeks. Okay, this is the first of the big vaccine studies uh, that is likely to release data. And in the event that the Oxford vaccine uh, study releases positive data. And remember, guys, everything that's happening right now is exaggerated and it's polarized. There's no like middle road. It's like if they release positive data, the world takes that as we're going to get a vaccine by December or or, or September, October. Like people are just going crazy with this stuff, even the smallest bits of positive data. So if that data comes out in the next two weeks, three weeks, and it's positive, and it's a vaccine, okay? And, and they're saying that they think that if it is positive, they've already come out and said that, that if the vaccine appears to be working, that they're already preparing to have two to three million doses prepared and ready by September, okay? Um, that would be monumental, I think, 
for just global markets. Okay, I am Absolutely. watching it so closely. Right, that on Twitter. That's a, the number one thing I'm checking on Twitter is that Oxford vaccine data study. Rumors coming out of it, right? Because that has the potential, kind of like I was watching Remdesivir a few weeks ago, right? And like you got to get ahead of this stuff, guys. Jordan, you know anything about that study in Oxford? Uh, I do not. No. You should definitely start looking at yeah. it. it. It's 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 interesting. It's supposedly promising, whatever that means, right? Uh, I don't trust anyone right now when it comes to these drugs, but it's it's promising, and it looks like there's a reasonable chance that we could get positive data out in the next two to three weeks out of that who's, study. Whose vaccine was that? Do you, it's, do you it's, it's a vaccine that was a partnership between Oxford and uh, some pharma company over in Europe. I forget the name. Uh, and it's commonly being referred to as the Oxford kind of vac vaccine uh, study. And it's the first one to release data. And the interesting thing here is even if it's not great data, it, like all the other vaccine manufacturers are going to learn from these results. Yep. So they're, they're pretty important. But even if it's not like the end all vaccine, if it's even a little bit positive, that will be add confidence that the other 30 vaccine manufacturers that are working on their vaccines can build off that data set and learn. And, and, and if, they, if this early one has even some positive data, that we're more likely to see positive data from the other vaccine manufacturers. So it's so important, guys. Like, it's listen, I think uh, I didn't tell you this, but I, I think I mentioned to you, Dave. I had been on a CNBC business news cleanse since I think it was last Thursday. So yes. I didn't watch any CNBC, I don't think Thursday or Friday or this weekend or today up until like right before the show. I just put it on just so I can see what the you know what was going on. But I might not watch it at all today. The reason why I'm doing that is because there's so much noise right now. This is the time to remove the noise and really Focus on the things that matter, the things that actually matter. Because these CNBC talking heads, they got to talk all day about. They'll, they'll make up stuff to talk about. They don't know what the hell they're doing. Okay, so it's really important to focus on these marginal drivers of price for the markets. And I think the biggest one right now is going to be vaccine data. Right? Let's talk. Are there some smaller ones like some additional government money? Could they even do more? Theoretically, they could always probably always do more, right? So if they come out and do another big trillion dollar, half trillion dollar small business extension, maybe they do some other. They're going to say they're going to start buying more junk bonds, like all that stuff. I technically, I guess, is positive too. They're going to save this industry or that industry, right? So the more they they look like they're going to backstop, the government's going to backstop industries. I think the more that adds to our stock market's ability to kind of have a floor underneath itself. Like China, right? China, China's stock market really never went down during all this because the government said, we're not going to let it go down. And it sounds like our government's pretty much saying the same thing, more or less. Yeah, exactly. And, th and that's why I'm what I'm doing with these short-term uh, selling of call options is basically it's, it's, it's my wait. It's my way to make money while I'm waiting to see. I, I, you know, and I'm, watching it closely enough so that if things start to go up, I'm going to be able to participate. And if things stay flat to negative, I'm going to be making money. And and that's just kind of the, the, the way I'm dealing with this, because otherwise I would just be sad watching my account stay flat or go down. 
And I also think there's so much opportunity right now in individual equities. Uh, we're not all the way through earnings season. Uh, we have a lot of earnings season left. And if you're so stuck on trying to focus on the stock market crash in May or you know the fact that this market's going to boom in May, uh, then you're really spending time on the wrong things. I mean, don't get me wrong. As we've discussed on this show, there are a handful of scenarios for the general market that we're keeping a close eye on and we're going to continue to analyze, right? But, the, but most of what we're doing right now, most of what I'm doing for sure, is focusing on individual equities, individual opportunities to arbitrage data and information that the rest of the market might it's there for them to see, but the market has never been more distracted. Sell side analysts and buy side funds have never in the history, in the last 25 years I can think of, have never been more distracted, right? And so they are not able to pick up on what are such obvious cues that are happening with these underlying securities and their business models, right? Um, like Dave and Buster's, it was at 15 last week and now it's at 10 again or 11. It's so obviously should have been gotten hit harder that they needed to raise money. It's the fact that they had to come out and raise money at a deeply discounted price today from Jefferies should not have been surprising to anyone. But Dave and Buster's went up with the rest of all the little the restaurants and the airlines, all this stuff. It should have been so obvious that the airlines are in a bad situation and they're not just going to pop up all of a sudden right now. And it took yeah. Warren Buffett knew it. I mean, but yes, did you, so you, about this. you took a CNBC cleanse. Did you see any of uh, Warren Buffett's uh, shareholder meeting this week? Well, I couldn't avoid it on Twitter. And I was on Twitter all weekend, probably you know, not just Twitter, but I spent a tremendous, uh, at least 20 hours on Twitter this weekend. You're spending reading way more time on Twitter than you used to. Tens of thousands of tweets. Like for the one stock I'm deep diving right now, which is Peloton. I wasn't just on Twitter. I mean, I was literally on their Facebook group. I mean, I was reading every single user comment in the world related to that company, making sure I didn't miss anything, right? And we'll talk about how, how we do that research on Wednesday. But yeah, I mean, Buffett came, I mean, listen, he's out of the airlines. I think it's significant um, because people, I mean, he's such He's such a value guy, right? You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like he's such a value guy, and he's just like, forget it. To to Buffett's been around long enough; he knows the airline industry. Well, and he, he knows, knows they're just going to have to lever up with so much debt to be able to even survive that they might as well go bankrupt. It's, well, that's what know, I've been saying the whole time, yeah. and now I kind of kick myself for getting out of that American Airlines short I was in. Yeah. I was doing pretty well in it. Yeah. I should have yeah. stuck in it. I, the only reason why I didn't stick in it is because I was like, ah, you know this private equity money and the government money. And it's like, they're still like backstopping this stuff like I've never seen before, right? And so I was like, I'm just tired of fighting the government and these stupid private equity money that's funding all these companies. So it's like, and, and, and then the market's so eager to hop on these airline stocks. I felt like I just need to take a break from that short. The other issue getting- is that, yeah, the other issue is that they can just, I mean, they can push that risk out as far as, you know, they want to, right? With debt. Um, yeah. And so it's, you really can't see the future on that. But yeah, I don't love the upside. I'll tell you that. But um, I mean, yeah. I, but business, you know, it's a great, you know what I pulled out of that whole thing with Buffett is that uh, it's all about business and business travel, right? What he basically said 
was that business travel will not be. When he said that airlines aren't going to be the same for a long time, essentially, what he really was saying was that business travel is not going to be the same for a long time. So you know how I take that? Historically, historically business travel accounts for all of the profitable ticket sales on an airplane. You know, they're they're filling up the $99 seats for for leisure vacationers at the last minute who, who aren't business travelers. And it's the same thing with the hotel industry. Hotels make their money off of business travelers going to business meetings. And is that going to happen? I, I, I love doing Zoom meetings way more than even driving 10 minutes from my house and meeting with uh, startups at Capital Factory, right? I, I did my meetings this last week with, it was, it was all on Zoom and, and I loved it. I can't imagine get going to a conference or going, going anywhere, really. Yeah, other than getting barbecue with you guys, I can never leave my house again and be fine with it. (laughs) I can't wait. I I feel like, have we been in seclusion long enough that we could at least, like, have barbecue ordered and sit 12 feet apart in in your front yard or my backyard or something and and be able to do a dumb money barbecue lunch? Maybe. maybe, I don't know. next week. I saw that Facebook post with Megan, your girlfriend, and her friend. Where did they really stay twelve feet apart? Can you trust them? <laughs> uh, no, I, I. So they went on a walk, and if I can find the picture, I'll share it. But they they went on a walk. I gave them a twelve foot swimming pool pole, and said, "As you walk through the neighborhood, I want you to carry this. One of you in the street, one of you on the sidewalk, to prove that you're far enough away." They they left it behind, and they did not properly social distance, uh. but. They were they were safe, and her friend had a mask, um, so it was good. It was as safe as it can be. And and I heard over the weekend you were out. That same that same mutual friend who was walking with Megan was at a birthday party for one of our former coworkers, and I heard you weren't uh, as Me? socially distanced as you might have been. Me? Yes, you you Me? and Amy were out at a birthday party. No, we were not. Are you crazy? <laughs> no, we were Are not. You sure? Oh my gosh! You thought we went out to a birthday party? Did I get did I get false information? Oh, do you think that we would be out at a birthday party? Wait, I so, thought uh, I heard that you were at a birthday party. Rumors. So wait, 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 was Megan at a birthday party? Megan was not. Megan's friend was at this party, and I got a report back that you and Amy were there. Oh my goodness! No, that's hilarious. You got to find <laughs> out more as to why she I'm thought we were there. To- you got to stop that rumor right now because <laughs> I'm definitely going to be inquiring as to uh, what happened uh, in that situation. And I did find the uh, image of the. Uh, th- this is what I was trying to have happen during the walk. <laughs> <laughs> so it's getting so tough in our neighborhood because so much of our neighborhood has like given up on quarantine. I, there was a party a block away that had a full mariachi band on the front porch and full catering and everything like for a one-year-old's birthday party and i drove my bike past that and a lot of our friends have just kind of given up on it they're having parties they're going to dinners um like people in texas southerners they just don't care like they just they just want to get back out i'm i'm way more cautious i've always told you i'm i'm a what do you call philo first in last out i'm the first (laughs) in the quarantine and I was the I pulled my kids out of school before they even closed the school down. Okay, and I did will you do be, any drive bys of of the mall or anything? I'm I'm so interested that in Texas, a, a you know what do we call it a sales tax state instead of a, a property tax and sales tax instead of a uh, income tax, it's the malls and restaurants 
that are open. And I, I did not drive by the local mall to see how the parking lot was. I only, did, I only did uh, cycle buys. I've been on my bicycle going all over town riding open. What did I you see? Uh, just, you know, people are out. People are definitely out. But, like, yeah. the mall, I don't know about the mall. I know they're open. Oh, you know what I heard? I heard the mall North Park has 75,000 people a day. They had 2,800 people show up, which is more than I would have thought. But that's really? but 2,800 compared to 75,000. Here's the deal, guys. If, if that number even triples from there and we get 10,000, 15,000 out the mall, people don't understand. Stores can't stay in business. I'm trying to figure out right now. I'm going to go back to kind of macro stuff for just a minute because, again, I'm trying to figure out, you know, you know, my belief in anomalies, market anomalies, that the human mind will, will not allow us to see them until they've already happened, even if they're right in front of our face. Fortunately, I was able to break through that and see the market crash when it happened. But I'm almost curious now that we've recovered so much. Is there an economic, like, I mean, an economic black hole of like 60, where 50 to 60% of small and medium business go out of business in the next 90 days that since it's never ever happened before, it's right in front of our face and it's so obvious, but our, 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 we, our brain literally just won't allow us to see it. Like I'm, I question to myself. Not even believe that that's a possibility. But what? I feel like we're it, it, our brains are programmed to not even believe that that could be a possibility. But we're in a very different time, and small business, the backbone of the economy, is going to have such a hard time bouncing back. Do you know how you see that, Dave? The only way that it's possible to see that. Uh, is you have to turn yourself off. You have to like meditate. You have to turn off every all the outside noise. A hundred percent. You have to like go into like like a full deep deep meditation and really break. No, I'm serious. You're you going need, into a trance. You're on the you call have, map or something. Going into a trance, imagining a different world where where small business doesn't exist. You the problem do. is when I do that to myself, I give myself a panic attack. So okay, fine. But, but Jordan- And that's that your brain. Is, your brain is, the, the natural reaction is your brain shutting down any possibility of yeah. that kind of fundamental shift in the, the world that you know. That's right. And that listen, you, I am not here to scaremonger or do any of that stuff. But, but listen, you have to, and I'm going to force myself to do more of this this week. I'm going to meditate- and get in that trance state to really try to find the truth of what's happening. I always say that, you know, people are always like, how do you predict the future? How are you so good at predicting the future? I had never predicted the future. All the success in trading for us and me has come from attempting to accurately interpret the present, not predicting the future. You don't have to predict the future. If you can just accurately interpret what is actually happening at this very moment in time, if the rest of the world is blind to that and you're able to see it, see through the noise, that alone that gives you such an edge. Yeah, absolutely. I love our commenters. Uh, we haven't addressed comments yet. We will. We're coming up on the one hour mark. We're going to get to um, comments in the chat, uh, but I, I, I'm putting them on the screen just because there's so many interesting things going on and we'll try to pick out some and, and talk talk about them here in the second half of, uh, I mean, we, we call it the second half. We never know how long we're gonna be on. We, we originally did these shows thinking that we'll do 30 minutes and we've we've gone as far as, did we go three hours, three and a half hours one time? The problem is we get all worked up and I get worked up <laughs> because I, listen, you know, the funny thing is, 
we will go a decade between events like this. And so when we have an event like this, I will wait another 10 or 15 years for another one. So now that we're in the middle of one, I know there's so much opportunity that we're missing. And by the way, we've caught more opportunity in the last six, six weeks than almost anyone in the world when it comes to our trading. And, but I, I still know that we're missing. We're missing so much. When we missed that Chipotle trade, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I can't believe I missed that trade. What, what else am I missing right now? And that's what keeps me going 24 hours a day looking for to just to try to see what we're missing. Because, you know, in the next two weeks, there are going to be some massive trade opportunities that you're either going to catch or you're going to miss. Um, anyway, uh, huh, we, we want, just want to just jump to checking my portfolio while uh, while while you're talking there. Um, do you want to? I, I could go over the trades that I made. I, I know that some people are interested in our individual specific portfolios. I, I, I know that in the last comments, people were asking us to publish it or put show notes out. We don't have time to type up show notes. <laughs> I know that at one point, someone was uh, was trying to keep track of all of our trades in a, on a subreddit. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that they've kept that updated. But... I can I can run through the the trades that I made against the uh, you know all of these short positions if that's interesting let let me know in the in this which side is it in in this uh, chat right here if you if you'd like to see that um, Chris I know that you've made a bunch of trades lately Jordan. well my biggest trade like I said we can briefly just just mention this but I don't want to get into it because it's our entire show on Wednesday. Uh, this is a on, trade I'm not making, by the way. This is a very we have a we have a very different opinion on this, and you can mention it now if you'd like. But okay. we really are going to dive well, in when let this me, company announces their earnings this this Wednesday. Let me correct Dave. Dave hasn't made the trade yet, and <laughs> if, if, if 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 I do my job correctly, I will convince him to make this trade before earnings come out on Wednesday. Um, this is, of course, we're talking about Peloton. It's my largest speculative position. Uh, I'm in it seven figures uh, right now. And it's a position I've been working on and working up, adding to it over the last you know week and a half or so. Uh, it's a company that I didn't really like that much. In fact, me, Jordan, remember when we turned down, all three of us, we could have invested in Peloton at like a $4 billion pre-IPO valuation about a year before the IPO. I said, hell no, (laughs) I don't believe in this company. I don't get it. Um, But we are going to go so deep into Peloton. uh, We're going to talk about supplier relationships, how to actually track suppliers and and shipments coming into the United States, because that's a big question. It's still on my mind, quite honestly. It's a big risk factor for this trade. Uh, We're going to talk about how you look into small data on Twitter and how you decipher actual conversational data to extract meaningful information that some of the biggest hedge funds in the world just cannot see. Okay, so we're going to look at how that data has factored into this trade. uh, we're going to look into short interest. Uh, we're going to look into uh, you know, the Peloton funnel, 
all the variables going to score. This is a fascinating trade. I cannot wait for earnings on Wednesday. And listen, I'm the first to say that there are risk factors in this trade that might just knock me down that could totally destroy this trade. And I'll lose a pretty good amount of money on Wednesday. Or is it Wednesday afternoon to come out the earnings? The sixth? That's right. right. I know it's Wednesday. I don't know if it's the morning or afternoon. I think it's afternoon. I th- okay. We have to it's double afternoon. check. Yeah. We need to do our, we need to start our episode a good half hour while the market's still open in case I could change your mind, Dave. Um but <laughs> But listen, there's a I've lot of sides. The episode. Let me see when I when I scheduled it for. There are a lot of sides to this trade, and my job this last week is to really see every side of the trade and not to enter the trade biased. I want to know exactly what the risk factors are. I want to know what I'm getting involved with. What could go wrong? There are some things that can go majorly wrong for Peloton longs like me on Wednesday. All said. I've looked at all the data, and I'm still going in long. I'm going in levered. We'll see what happens. It's going to be a hell of an exciting Wednesday, one way or another. I have this episode scheduled for uh, 3.50 Eastern, 2.50 Central Time, but we'll we'll bump that up to 3.30 Eastern Time, just so we have more time to talk before the earnings numbers come out. And by the way, guys, there are other trades that I want to look into, but I'm so all in on this Peloton, I didn't even have time. Like Shopify, I sold half my Shopify um, because I felt that the market was finally starting to appreciate what I we've appreciated for a long time on Shopify. Um, but should we sell more prior to earnings? Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't even understand all the risk factors going into this quarter on Shopify. Dave, have you looked into that yet? Do you have any thoughts? I have not looked into it yet, but um, I do have a lot of positions in Shopify. I have shares. I have, I think I have calls. We do have a lot of people who did ask to see our um, our actual trade. So I'm going to talk about that. And I see Leon says uh, that we do have the subreddit still going. I don't know if he's updating it or someone else, but um, at subreddit dumb underscore money, there's another dumb money that isn't us, but dumb underscore money is apparently our subreddit. I'm a member, so if you want to join there, you can uh, you can follow oh, along. Oh, I need to join someone that. Please take, someone please take notes because I'm about to uh, run through the trades that I made on Friday. Go give us okay. your cover calls, Dave. Give us your cover calls. Here, here we go. Give us the boring um, stuff. <laughs> no, no, this is this is actually I think super interesting. I'm kidding. I'm because kidding. I'm generating income in a flat to down market. All so right. on Amazon, I own a thousand shares. I sold ten cover calls. At $28.75 a share, um, I sold the $2,350 strike price. All of these, unless otherwise noted, are the ones that expire this Friday, so very short term. Um, and I So at $275, that's a $28,750 deposit into my account for selling those. Um, relatively high premium. On Shopify, I have 1,000 shares of Shopify. I sold... Uh, 10 calls at $610 strike price, $36 a share, so $38,000. Uh, I also would love to buy some more Shopify, so I sold some puts at a low price of $575 as a strike. Those I sold for $24 a share, so I got $24,000. That essentially would let me, if Shopify drops, it would let me buy Shopify at um, around... $550 a share. Dave, don't you mean force today. you to buy Shopify? <laughs> it would force me to buy Shopify at a price that I would be absolutely happy 
to own it. I currently own Shopify at a uh, average price of $431 a share. It's up to $642. If it were to drop, I would be buying more and I'd be buying it $25 less than you could on the open market. So I have both short calls and short puts, 10 of each uh, in Shopify. On Apple, uh, Apple's a company that I plan to hold forever. Um, I have what, 2,000 shares of Apple. So I sold 20 calls. I sold the 290 strike price. It looks like it's at 289 now. So this is one that if Apple goes up, I might double my position in Apple so that I can continue to uh, receive the upside potential on Apple stock going up. But if it goes down, I would be forced to sell it at $290 a share. I got $6.35 each. So I'm getting an effective selling price of $296 um, if I were to sell it at $290. So I, I have $12,000 in my account in, in one week. These are all just one week options. Uh, Teladoc, a company that I bought when uh, we, it, the, the day that Trump announced it during a press conference that Teladoc was a company that would be doing well, I bought Teladoc. I bought what, 2,000 shares. So I sold 20 Teladoc uh, calls, the 175 strike price. I sold those for $2.80, basically just getting $5,600 into my account. But that's a stock that I'm ready to sell anyway. I've made made good money on it and I, I'm good with selling that one. And, and this is just my exit strategy. If it goes down, I'll continue to hold it and keep selling these options on the way down. Home Depot, another one that I bought recently. Uh, I'm ready to sell that. Um, I have a thousand shares, so I sold ten calls at two twenty strike price. Got three ten a share for those, so just three thousand dollars deposited into my account. Again, if if I can sell out of Home Depot at two twenty, I'm effectively getting two twenty three a share. Fleer Systems or Fleer Technologies, whatever it's called, Fleer is the symbol on that. Sold thirty calls because I have three thousand shares. Those don't have weeklies. I sold the monthlies. The May fifteenth. Uh, 165 per share is what I sold those for, made $4,950. Um, Fleer is a company that I'm ready to sell, but also happy to hang on to. Uh, don't really have strong opinion on that, but I'm trying to increase my income on the way down or neutral and could buy more if it starts to go up. Roku is a company that I want to keep, so I sold some calls that are further out of the money. Um, at $115. What is Roku trading for today? It is at 121. So it looks like I've already um, lost, potentially lost money. But no, I sold those for $7.25 a share. So my effective price there is higher than the current trading price of 121. So I'm still doing better than having done nothing in Roku and could always buy more Roku shares. So 10 of those, $115 strike price, sold it for $725, $7,250 into my account. Microsoft, I sold six calls at $177.50 strike price, sold those just for $2.48. Uh, that $177.50 strike price uh, on a stock that is trading at $177.30 right now, but I also had some calls that I own outright on that that are deep in the money. So I'm planning to basically flip out of my current Microsoft and get new Microsoft assigned to me. Um, I have five 
Microsoft calls with a 165 strike price that expired June 19th. I've sold six 177.50 calls for 248. Win hotels. I sold 10 calls at 90. Uh, $90 strike price, sold those for $1.15. That's one that, that I bought way down at 60. It is trading at $78. I'm ready to get out of win. So I'm basically just getting a little bit of additional premium on, on a selling price that I would have been happy with. And we mentioned this one earlier, but Crown Castle, the real estate investment trust, my 5G play. Uh, I sold five calls expiring May 15th. At the 160 strike price, sold those for $3.20 a share. So just $1,600. But this is something that I want to sell anyway or just continue continue to print money um, on my $75,000 worth of uh, Crown Castle shares. I'm making $1,600 in two weeks. That's better than a 1% uh, income per week. If I could do that every week or at least once a month, I'd be making $19,000 a year, which is a 25% annual return plus whatever dividends they pay. So those are all of my trades. I did it. I did it quickly because I know that just hearing numbers could be boring. So, so Dave, is that like fifty thousand dollars in a week? Of uh, I have to. I I don't have that in a spreadsheet. Probably but more. Like Fifty, sixty thousand. You'll get 30, paid this week for your 30, 50, for a call writing those calls. No, at ninety, uh, more closer to a hundred thousand dollars. So you'll get paid a hundred thousand dollars this week in 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 call writing fees for giving other people the all the upside on your stock. It's fascinating. I would love for you to tell us next week um, how you did on those trades relative to if you didn't do any of that. Would that be no, really absolutely. interesting? I, I and and that's, you know, it's it's one of those kind of things that as a, you know, you can paper trade and see what you would have done, but you you never really know until you're actually doing it. So I'm I'm hoping that I come out ahead or at least not, you know, not much different than had I just held on to these stocks that I would have been fine holding on to anyway, or selling some of the ones that I was happy to sell and getting a little bit more premium for them. Well, I, I hope you can continue to make a hundred thousand a week doing that, and it will really after after about a month of that, it's going to really upset me <laughs> that I'm not doing it. <laughs> but <laughs> um, re really quick, I just want to address. Uh, first of all, someone wanted to know if I was in that little Canadian bicycle company that we talked about, Darrell Industries. Oh yeah. I'm still in them. I know nothing about that company, guys. It could be the most jacked up uh, company that has weird, uh, you know, restrictions and, and liabilities on its balance sheet, and it could be a total disaster. So I would really think twice before investing in a company like that. By the way, we're not financial advisors. Don't listen to anything we say for your own accounts. Our risk profile is different than yours. This is for education and entertainment only. Uh, informational purposes. This is more about you guys learning how we think about trading, not to mimic our trades because we're really high risk. Um, now, that said, I would like to ask a favor of our community because uh, I'm going to be doing this right when we get off of the uh, right when we get off of this webcast today, this this video. Uh, I need my biggest risk factor in Peloton is trying to decipher the degree to which they're having uh, supply issues, which they have not said coming out of their main supplier in uh, Taiwan, which is called Tonic. It's, got, it's called Tonic Fitness. They actually own their own supplier. To the best of my knowledge, uh, it doesn't look like they're having supply issues. And it looks like they had enough bikes on their inventory to kind of last them for all of Q1. But there is some data uh, that I've seen 
from one of the supply routing uh, companies that, sh and I'll talk about this on Wednesday, that shows that their supplier has not done any shipments in, in uh February, March, or April uh, in the U.S. Uh, they have not done any shipments to the U.S. And it's a little bit of a red flag for me. I'm trying to decipher whether or not they're currently having some, some supplier issues getting bikes in from overseas. And the way that I'm doing that, believe it or not, I just call up Peloton. I wait on hold for 20, 30 minutes, <laughs> and I casually talk to a rep and be like, hey, yeah. I'm thinking about ordering one, but not if you have supply issues, like because I'm worried that it's not actually going to ever get here and you're going to keep extending that window, which is now four to eight weeks or something like that, five to eight weeks. Are you guys are you guys having issues getting bikes here? From And who knows? They might not, might or might not tell you, but if you guys, if you guys get any, if you guys have any way to figure out uh, you know, maybe talking to people that are delivering Pelotons, figuring out people that are in that that world, whether or not they're having these issues getting bikes here or not. Uh, please share it with us. Tweet me. Uh, put it on a comment to our video. Email us at what is it? What's our email again, Dave? It's uh, uh, hi at dumbmoney.tv. Yeah, hello, hi at dumbmoney.tv. Hey, I, I think all of those work. Yeah, I would appreciate it. You might help me save a few hundred thousand dollars if this thing gets tanks because of supplier issues on Wednesday. Um, but yeah, to just just wanted to really throw that out there because this is all that's on my mind right now is this Peloton trade. Because Dave's let's, Dave's all, Dave's got all this stuff going on. Trade. I'm focused on one thing. Let's let's talk about another trade. The uh, the Tesla trade that I made, where um, basically Elon bought me my Ford Bronco, and I'm trying to find a way to double down so that I can get myself a free uh, Model X Tesla because that's kind of what I think I, I would rather have. Why don't you um, buy some Tesla in right options? They get lots of good premium. Those things, all Dave. kinds of premium on that. So yeah, I, and that's what I did the first time around. I, I had a thirty eight thousand dollar gain on some Tesla puts that I wrote. And I'm considering doing that again. Can I just Tesla say something about Elon Musk? You know, God, he made me so much money the last month trading Tesla. But I still, I have zero faith in that guy. That, I mean, he's a weird genius on one level. On another level, he is such a nutbag. I mean, first of all, he, <laughs> you remember I sent you quotes. He thought this whole thing was a, essentially going to be gone. And we'd have zero cases as of April 1 in the United States, yeah. which is... So far uh, he, off. He wasn't the only nutbag who thought that. Yeah, I mean, but but if you're going to put out an estimate that's such a hard number that we'll have zero cases in the U.S. by April, that is so many magnitudes off by what by what any rational person would have thought that you have to now like question yourself on anything that he ever says, ever, which you we probably already should have been should have been doing with Elon Musk, right? Um, I feel like he's the biggest right time, right place guy to take advantage of massive amounts of liquidity, right, that are flowing to, to people like yeah. him and companies like his. Um, but I don't know. Jordan, has he has any of this frightened you as a Tesla? I, mean, I sold most of my Tesla. I held some of it just because I feel like the market's always going to support Tesla in anything but the worst case scenario. And, you know, I'm just riding along, right, with all the crazy Tesla people like you, Jordan. But what? what, 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 what is, I'm not a crazy Tesla person. I don't even own a Tesla. I like, you know, there's certain things that I like about them. But I actually I sold because of his crazy tweet. Oh, you did? Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not riding with somebody that that's that nuts. So I just couldn't believe. You know, I, I, was that like him just 
on a dare saying, I wonder if I can bring the stock down by a hundred points, uh, or was he just trying to prove how valuable his Twitter account is? Or you just don't what know he what thinking? he's thinking or doing. So I'm, I'm out. I can't, I can't deal with that. Yeah. It, it, it's very hot. Like I said, I, I invested in Tesla a quite a bit of money in Tesla on this last run up and I sold almost all of it, but I invested knowing pretty much that he was, you know, like this, but just the fact that people don't care and they literally, but he, I feel like he goes in these swings when even the people that support him, like Jordan was supporting the company because he loves the company. Um, even a lot of people are just like, I, I got to get out. And a lot of funds are like, we just got to get out of this. Cause at some point it becomes so embarrassing if the whole company falls apart because it's there's all who who knows what's happening behind the scenes, right? When you have yeah. a guy like that, that is that a guy that's going to help expo, expose issues, or is he going to hide issues? You have to ask we're yourself also, that, right? We're also investors in SpaceX. We're also uh, it's not the only Elon thing that we're involved in. Yeah, are you, yeah. Are you nervous? Um, well, I'm see, I'm not nervous on SpaceX because. I feel like SpaceX, the reason why I'm invested in it is not based on its actual value. It's based on its hype value and the theoretical SpaceX IPO in 18 to 24 months, all theoretical, and all the people that are so diehard wanting to be part of something that's bigger than life that are going to invest in that IPO that I'll be able to flip my shares from hopefully 3x right during that IPO. That's yeah. why we I invested in SpaceX, Dave, not based on a real valuation that I believed in long term. Listen, I also did the same thing with WeWork and it like hit me in the face. Right. So like sometimes you win on those, sometimes you lose. Um, same thing with Robinhood. Right. Like same exact thing with Robinhood. Do I believe that Robinhood is should be worth 15 billion, which would be double more than double what we paid? I I, I don't know. But I think. You know, financial institutions are so desperate to acquire Gen Z and millennial accounts that just the acquisition value alone would support what we paid for Robinhood. And I think the IPO market, same thing. Like when no one else is able to do what they do, no one's going to worry about valuation, right? I, I don't know. We could be wrong. We could we could lose big on that Robinhood trade, just like we do with the WeWork trade, the WeWork investment, and, and SpaceX. Uh, we could uh, win. And how about Airbnb? That's another pre-IPO trade that we're in. Well, you well, did that. No, you're in well, it. I'm in. Maybe, maybe you guys that. aren't. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I will say this about Airbnb. I mean, I might be the most conservative quarantiner in the United States. Um, and even I booked a vacation, a drive vacation. I'm going to drive to Florida, you know, at some point in, at some point in July. Uh, you know, I might cancel it, but I might go for it. And that's through like an Airbnb type service. So I don't know. Airbnb's in yeah. trouble though, Dave. They're not. They just announced they're not. Their value got cut in half. I think. I know all of our all of our uh, larger pre-IPO investments are not doing well right no, now. No, that's you know, not true. That's not the smaller true. Companies that we master still have some... uh, master class. I heard well, is master doing class. Quite well, doing well right now. Nice. Yeah, that's great. Nice. Masterclass is doing quite well. Uh, also, how about uh, what's that company we invested in, Jordan? That is the backbone for all the gaming companies and and uh, oh, and that's um, uh, man, they're the so engine. The, the my it's is it um, Unity? Or? Unity, Unity yeah. Technologies. It's the engine for building all these games. Yeah. We invested in them a long time ago. So you know, I think 
Han. Han. What's going on? Oh, he's uh, we a... have a uh, <laughs> we we had a, a Whole Foods or Target delivery, and we have so we have a system, as you know, for me and, Aunt, and my wife. We like one of us has to unpackage it, the other grabs it, puts it in the sink, scrubs it, and so it's like it's a two person operation. So I, I told her we'll be all, I'll be off in like 15, 15 <laughs> helper because you know it's hot outside. Uh, Impossible Foods, Danny H. I don't know, man. Uh, so Impossible Foods. Uh, oh, we sold. I sold my Impossible Foods. I was I invested in that through a uh, group, and the group sold. I think I almost what double, triple my money in Impossible Foods, and I'm out of that. But speaking of Impossible Foods, Beyond Meat has earnings this week, guys. Now yes. you would think they're doing really well with grocery, but probably horrifically bad with restaurants, right? Yeah. So I'm out. I'm not. I'm just not playing. I'm not trading it one way or the other. Yeah. So no thoughts on uh, the Beyond Meat earnings this week. I just don't know. And if I don't know, uh, I'm not. I'm not trading it long or short. Virgin Galactic, same thing, man. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing the Virgin Galactic thing right now because I feel like I've fulfilled there with my SpaceX investment. So, and also there's, it's, it's too unstable right now. Honestly, would you have done SpaceX if we were like right this second? I don't even know. Maybe not. Well, we did SpaceX when we were basically already stocking our pantries for a lockdown, right? Like yeah, literally I was true. on the beach in Mexico buying SpaceX and you were opening my front door to bring the packages in because I was ordering on Amazon remotely. So that's true. You, you can't, you can't say that you would have done any different in SpaceX no, you, than you, what you did. You're right. Because SpaceX for us was just really, it, it's about having exposure to that type of, in, you know, investment. So you, you're right, Dave. Uh, so, but Tesla, I'm almost, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm still invested in Tesla. Okay. I just yeah. significantly brought down my position. I think he's going to try to raise money. Um, I could easily see myself getting back into Tesla again uh, more yeah, I, than I, I am actually, today. I, I like Tesla. I, you know, it's, it's a, it's a stock that I'm not super excited to put into my portfolio, but I love their volatility. And so I'm going to probably be doing some more options and try to figure out how I can get my free Tesla. I'm, I'm Dave. I might thousand dollar plus side. I might do that. Like I might just like buy some more Tesla and start writing options on it. That's the one thing I might consider doing. It's such a weird. But you know, I almost feel like like Elon was giving us hints, like hints that like trying to protect himself and like 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 allocate blame on the yeah. government, right? You know, like like because like that Tesla could be on the verge of completely falling apart. And he wants to like say that, well, I told you it was too expensive. I told you the government was crazy. Then he's like, he's like his, his nervousness, I think is maybe coming out in weird ways. Does that seem insane for me to say like his No, but even, even during the actual conference call, he basically had a meltdown and called the lockdowns fascist. And then after the next day, he's like, oh, Tesla's too high and I'm selling all of my worldly possessions and I'm getting rid of my house. And it's like, what what kind of a what kind of a lunatic, mad genius, should I say? <laughs> I, I I think he's the probably the smartest person on earth. He's just nuts. Can yeah. we just say this? Uh, this is a subject that I can have a 10 hour show on. And this is like <laughs> when, when, when I'm not when I'm not actively researching investments, but I can't turn my brain off from researching. I'm literally like researching 
the ways that you can define and interpret intelligence. Like there's no, like when we say things like genius and intelligence, it, it's not a binary thing. And it's certainly, it's a spectrum. You know, people say it's all time. It really is a spectrum. And there's all kinds of ways to be smart and ways to be dumb. I mean, I would be the first person to say that I am nowhere near the top half of the intelligence spectrum. Uh, but I think happened to have figured out a loophole, right? And, and how to get what I want in life, which is whether it's profits from investing or other things, right? Uh, there are all kinds of ways to be intelligent in a different way than others. And I think the thing about Elon is, I think he has something that is very different from others. And I've always said, especially in markets, and what Elon is in is in a market. He's in a market of business, a market of raising money, like a market of innovation, a market of being able to attract talent. Um, you have to be good in a different way than others. And when you're good or great in a way that's different from others, that opens up massive opportunities. And so I have a lot of respect for Elon and how he's been great in a very different way than other people are great. But at the same time, he makes me nervous as hell. <laughs> and so it just, it's just a fine balance. Screen, Chris. Uh, are you still short on Cisco? They have earnings this week, apparently. Okay, that's a that's a great question. I am not. Thanks, Kevin. I am not short to Cisco Foods anymore. Um, <laughs> I am still short Ruth Chris Steakhouse, uh, and of course Dave and Buster's. I the reason why I got out of that Cisco trade is because since these restaurants started reopening, it made me a little bit nervous. Not in terms of Cisco's ability to generate um, actual revenue and income. But in the market's interpretation of uh, restaurants reopening being a net positive short term for Cisco, and I didn't want to be part of that. So I, I felt like I wanted to get out of Cisco for a little bit. Uh, the, the fact that earnings are this week, I would contemplate maybe shorting or buying a put in Cisco. I haven't done it. If I have any time this week, I'll look into Cisco again. It's something I would consider. I'm not long. I'm not short. I'm probably more short than long if I, if I had to make a decision in Cisco. Um, but I, I, you know, by the way, when I sold at it, when I covered that Cisco short that I doubled down on my Dave and Buster's short. So I kind of took the money from Cisco and I felt like I'd be better off in Dave and Buster's because that was the one that I was insistent could not possibly be doing well anytime soon. Let me see what else I'm in right now. I'm just going to look at my positions. See if anything major has changed here. Are you still short, uh, planet fitness? No, no. I pulled out of, uh, I pulled out of that. I, I covered that short as well. Uh, that was, again, a perception issue. I went so long on Peloton, I didn't feel I needed to be short Planet Fitness anymore. Um, and I think there was a perception issue of, oh, they're reopening gyms. You know, like the, the, yeah. Texas is reopening. Well, I don't think that many people are going to show up at Peloton. But I also, excuse me, at Planet Fitness, I also think Planet Fitness is doing some really dirty tricks of potentially not refunding people or, oh, sorry, we missed the window for refunds in April, but we'll add an extra month to your uh, policy. I've heard rumors of that happening. I think the Planet Fitness is the type of company that whenever they do report earnings, they're going to do everything they can to hide the bad and kind of talk around it. I don't kind of trust these fitness companies. And uh, no, I, I don't want to be any, I don't want to have a part of that. Uh, so I, I could see myself shorting them again 
But right now, I'm focused on being long Peloton rather than being short the gyms or the gym. So, the so only you, you don't trust the fitness brands, but you do think that Peloton's going to do well. Well, when I say I didn't trust, I don't trust them to disclose the bad stuff. Um, I'm not worried if Peloton does going to disclose the bad stuff. Right? I mean, I, I'm <laughs> long Peloton. <laughs> right? So, so there's nothing there for me to risk. With, with, with Peloton coming out and hyping their company and the good stuff over the bad stuff. I don't think Peloton's in the same position as an Amazon to where they're afraid to announce good news. You know what I'm saying? Where they're afraid to kind of announce that things are going amazing for them. So that's part of the kind of part of my whole positioning with them. What about your uh, oil tanker? trade now that was a one-day trade I'm, i was in and out of basically even on that i don't know anything about energy or oil guys i i we i don't think any of us do so we don't really talk about that stuff and we don't really trade that stuff i felt there's one day to do a stupid trade on energy that was the day to do it right so i can talk about hey i made a trade when energy when oil was negative 35 dollars a barrel and i made x amount of money or i did make money on the trade but it wasn't a lot do you find yourself making extra trades just so you have something to talk about? <laughs> yes. Yes. No, <laughs> but not just no. for this show. You've done that your whole life. You, you know, no. you'd like to be able to get in the uh, group text that we usually have going on with our friends and say, "Oh, look what I did! I did a small trade in some random McDonald's." So, so, or something. so do you know what it is? You know what it is. The small trade for me is therapy. Because if it's way better for to have it be a small trade and be meaningless than a large trade that could destroy me. So sometimes the way that I kind of get around, for me, a small trade is like not trading. Does that make sense? It's like yes. I'm doing it just so I can like participate in what I thought I have. If I have a if I'm like low conviction and I have a hunch, I feel like yeah. I don't want to miss out on that opportunity. But I really know too. I know better not to put a lot of money behind something I don't have high conviction in. So I do the small trade like I did on Blue Apron. Remember my Blue Apron? I shorted Blue Apron, bought puts, literally double my money on that stock in like a yep. day or two, a couple of days. Uh, but, you know, I was not about to put, you know, a half million dollar levered trade on Blue Apron. You know why? I don't have the 40 hours it takes for me to research Blue Apron and all the intricacies of the of what's happening and what could drive that stock up or down on earnings. What am I not missing here? Um, I did spend the time to research Peloton the last week. I put the hours in and, you know, for better or worse, I'm making a big trade on it. So we'll see. It's either going to go well or it's not going to go well. Thoughts on USO? I would not touch it. Someone just asked. I just don't have any thoughts yeah. on it. I yeah. just, I don't, I don't, that's a derivative. Right? The, 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 the most actively traded thing on Robinhood or something last week, a few days. That's it's, People buy it and then they just lose money. So if you want to lose money, go ahead and buy it. But I, I won't touch it. Well, don't say that because then someone will get bad at you for not buying it when it actually goes up. That's a good point. Up. That's a good so, point. I have so, no idea what it's going to do. It could do yeah, we, 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 we just, I'm not buying it because I'm afraid of losing money. Yeah, listen, guys, I... I let me make something very quick. So I get these texts all day from people in my network about oil and USO and stuff. And the first thing I ask them is, do you even know what that is? Do you understand how the derivatives <laughs> yeah. work behind that? Do you understand how it works, what it represents, what the drivers are that would potentially make that go up or make that go down? And when they answer no seven times in a row, I, I then tell them, Stop investing in things that you don't understand. If you are not willing to put in the time and the work 
and the research to understand what you're doing, then just invest in an ETF. You know what I'm saying? Just invest in the SPY. Do some kind of super uh, systematic where X amount of your money's in treasuries and X amounts just in the SPY. And you do that every week or every month with your paycheck and just stop looking at the market and just go do something else. Like, Or if you want to spend time understanding something, that's fine. But don't pretend that you know what you're doing because a lot of other people on Robinhood are doing this or your buddy told you about this or your neighbor who has a Ferrari in his driveway is in the oil industry and you want to be like him. <laughs> like, it's so stupid. It's so stupid. I have so many oil guys that are coming to me right now that are telling me they're potentially going to leave the industry forever. And they want to get more involved with equities. You know, one of the largest oil guys in the state of Texas is a guy that I've worked with. I won't say who they are. It's the, one of the largest oil families. And uh, he was potentially going to invest in our company, Jordan, ticker tags. We met with him half a dozen times. He's a good guy. He actually gave up. Their family has pretty much given up on oil and real estate. You know, they're still one of the biggest real estate guys. And they had started investing hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars about six years ago into technology. And they are investing massive amounts of money with all these venture you know, firms on the West Coast, and on the East Coast, and they are killing it. They're so smart because they know oil better than anyone. And by the way, they're still in oil because they're so deep in oil. It's not like they can get out of it, but they're taking all the money they've made in oil the past decade and they've been putting it into technology, right? And man, I'm just like so proud of that family for doing that. They're making probably billions of dollars now in all these technology funds, right? Um, but they're like, yeah, we're like the, one of the largest oil families in the world. And they're like, we're not investing any of our new money into oil or real estate, right? They're just putting in all the technology. Good for them. And then meanwhile, we have guys that know nothing about oil or energy that are like, this is the opportunity to finally get into the oil world. You know, like it's it's so weird. By the way, I love this Robin Track site that tracks the share price and the number of Robinhood investors who have shares over time. I think it's just the most fascinating uh, experiment in in psychology. <laughs> <laughs> they show you the leaderboard of the most held stocks at Robinhood. It's it's not associated with Robinhood. It's just a developer who who downloads their entire uh, public API every day and then and then charts it. It's it's very cool. Hey, can I just, I want to throw out there uh, for those in our, you know, world that didn't hear this last week or the week before, you know, we're focused on winners and losers right now. This economy is making new winners and losers all the time. My sister, uh, she lives up in New York and her husband, uh, who I love, uh, they had a big vacation. They love to travel. They had a big vacation plan for like, I don't know, this spring and they had to cancel it. And, you know, then I was talking to them and they ended up buying a super nice sofa from Restoration Hardware. And I was like, and I don't I'm not saying they took the vacation money and spent it on a sofa, but but it's interesting to see that buying behavior. Like people are canceling trips and they're spending money on things to make themselves comfortable in their home, like a sofa. And I'm like, you know, we have we own Restoration Hardware. It was nice to see. But I think that's just one little instance of what I'm doing myself and what I'm seeing all over the place, which is people are transitioning budgets 
from one area to another area, even within sectors. We keep talking about this. Like I invest, I'm long Chewy's right now, which is crazy because I'm short all these other restaurant stocks. Why? Because so many people where Chewy's is located, which is in the South and in the Southwest, we love Mexican, we love Tex-Mex, but we don't know how to make it in our house. So like like the one thing that my family's ordering all the time is Tex-Mex. And I heard that Chewy's delivery business was up four to 500%. Their overall business, I heard, was only down only 50%, right? When they came out and announced uh, a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago. But my like 50% down, that's amazing. That's amazing they're only down 50%. I mean, once the thing opens up, everyone opens up in a few weeks, right? And they're at like 30 or 40% capacity in the restaurant plus the delivery, they might be at 70% and surviving all this. Maybe, maybe they could survive. So I just think it's amazing how people are shifting, like no one's spending money on steakhouses, but they're still spending money on to-go Tex-Mex, right? And Chipotle, yes. right? Like it's, you got to really think it. about budgets transitioning here. Who are the winners, yeah, who losers? I think, I, and we've talked about that multiple times and it's something that we'll continue to talk about. Like what what are the winning stocks when, when you have such a change in the way people are behaving and what they're spending money on? So we'll continue to watch that and we'll continue to, we'll probably have an, We'll probably at least have one more live episode talking about the winners and losers of this new global economy. Um, yeah, we don't know. By the way, we don't know. We're going to talk all about Peloton, No Show Joe, 1236 on Wednesday. Uh, we're going to talk a short story, long story short, all about sales, all about marketing. More sales, less marketing. Very simple. More sales, less marketing. And how we found out about the more sales, a lot of it's through social data. So we'll talk about how we did that on Wednesday. Um, Fiverr, we don't know much about Fiverr. Dave used it a few times to make our T-shirts. Um, I don't know that we haven't spent enough time researching Fiverr to really yeah. talk about it as a stock, but we will look into it more. Uh, crypto, don't ask us about crypto. We're the worst. We know nothing about crypto. We, we like to focus on things where we can have a meaningful information advantage. And certainly that's not going to be crypto for the dumb money team here. Um, let yeah, me see. I, 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 I have a crypto portfolio. That's my just in case the world falls apart fund. That's what I have instead of gold bullion in my basement. Uh, by the way, Nolan Antonucci at 1234. Again, Shopify, we mentioned it on this call. We have a pretty large sizable position in Shopify. I sold half of it. I've made so much money in it. I just I had it. I sold half because I feel like Shopify is starting to be appreciated. The reason why I'm not selling the other half right now is because mainly tax. I don't want to take that tax hit right now on the other half of my Shopify. So the other half of it is probably a long-term holding for me. And I know that it could get rocked here in the short term because expectations are now so high on Shopify. I just don't know if I have the time this week to really dig deep into Shopify, I might. Um, but right now, I just felt like taking half off the table since I don't have time to research it. Dave did something similar. He's selling calls against his Shopify to kind of take the negative risk. Dave, Jordan, did you ever get in Shopify? No, it's I'm kicking myself over that one too. Okay. Um, so like, I don't have a strong opinion. I love Shopify. Yeah, we love it. We love it. But like in terms of this earnings, like our opinion would have to be based on how well they're going to do relative to what the market already knows or is expecting. And that's a really difficult thing to gauge right now with Shopify. And that's why I don't want to talk, you know, I, I really don't have a strong opinion. I did a month ago 
that the market was not was underappreciating them. Now yeah. I feel like the market's finally appreciating them. So we're probably at that parity information parity stage to right. where I probably should be selling my position in Shopify. But I, I just, those taxes are killing me. Like I'm up so much right now. I just don't want to take more of a tax hit. Uh, yeah, taxes are going to be difficult this this year to even figure out. We've we've done we're way more active in the stock market than we typically are. Yeah, no, no, totally. And there's lots of new Shopify businesses popping up now, left and right. Um, let me see. I'm just looking through some. So I got. This is my. I know my wife wants me to get this, these groceries in from outside. <laughs> I'm looking through the, uh, through the, uh, uh, all these comments. Make sure I'm not missing anything important. Guys, feel free also to like put. Con- I know uh, we've Mike, been. Ter- Mike, Mike, I have no gold bullion in my basement. I don't even have a basement. <laughs> Uh, but I do have my just-in-case crypto holdings, and that's all at Coinbase. <laughs> I, yeah. I consolidated. I had some in that uh, Binance, and it was so it was so difficult to log back in once you lost your password. Did you do you have to like send a picture of you holding your driver's license and a piece of paper saying what the date was? Hey guys, two, two other stocks: the cruise industry. I we still believe that cruiser is going to cruise. I still have my Royal Caribbean. I'm not selling it. Um, I will say, you know, it could be, listen, it's hard to tell how the next six months are going to go, what kind of financing they're going to have to raise, at what levels, what type of dilution, uh, how we might get hit really hard on the equity side. It's a small trade for me, but I want to play it. It's a, it's a fun one. I believe the cruise industry is going to come back really strong post-vaccine. So the big question is, if we hear anything about a vaccine, I might double down my position in Royal Caribbean because we know cruisers are going to cruise when the vaccines hits. Lowe's and Home Depot, Brennan uh, Adam at 1223 says that Lowe's talked to employees and they're meeting yearly sales targets in April. Their system crashed at so many years. I'm going to go on Twitter. I'm going to try to find that information. If that's true, I might double down my trade in Home Depot or Lowe's. Yeah. The same thing to me, Home Depot and Lowe's. I'm long both. I mean, you guys are still long Home Depot, right? Yeah, I've got Home Depot. I don't think I've got any lows. Um, I'd, I'd be fine owning that one as well. Yeah, I sold. Oh, Rand Do- Deutschler, 1223. I sold my Hasbro. Uh, I think I still made money in Hasbro, but the earnings were not as good as I anticipated because their brick and mortar sales were the negatives there were too strong to counterbalance the positives in e commerce. Um, toy demand is way up, but the air, the places where you can buy toys and where you, the, the, the revenue from where you have to buy toys but don't even want to, like birthday parties, which is Jordan's thesis, uh, was too strong. So Hasbro, uh, that was a short trade for me. I'm out of Hasbro. It, I'm out. It, it, I wish I would have sold before earnings, but I didn't. And I lost most of my gains in that one for holding. Yep. I'm out of Hasbro as well. Yeah. Uh, Philip Martin at 1223, Unity is going in the right direction. It's the private company where Unity Technologies will be attracting a lot more AAA studios next year. That's nice to know. Philip, I, I, I don't know that much about Unity. I don't keep track with them. Uh, so it's nice to hear that. Appreciate that comment. Um, what else here? Tesla Finance Podcast today, third row Tesla channel. I'm not familiar with that. I did see someone mention the uh, new Shopify app. Um, they they changed their they, they had a, like a tracking app, and they they basically changed it to a an app where you can browse Shopify stores. Um, I tried to use it, and it's it's awkward. They basically let you either log into your existing Shopify account, which I don't have, or log in with a generic you know create a new account with your uh, through a, through the Apple ID, and they hide the email address from the 
so they don't really know what stores you shop from, but that that could be an interesting uh, add-on for Shopify to to be more of a marketplace in addition to being a store hosting site. Hey, e, uh, Dave, Jordan, Easy e at 12.44, we post our food truck. I don't know what that means. It means that I guess they're at, in Lowe's parking lot every day and bring home a few thousand. Uh, good for you, Easy e first of all. Yeah. Never has been this active here. Easy e would you mind either commenting or then also emailing us at, what's our email again, Dave? I forget. Hi at dumbmoney.tv. Hi at dumbmoney.tv. And let us know what lows that is. What state are you in? I would love to know what state and what city you're in. Um, and uh, that's interesting data. That's really interesting data. Thank you for sharing that. This is the type of data that I'm on social 12 hours a day, reading tens of thousands of tweets, looking for data just like that. I love that type of data. Um, the, just so you know, the the down, the, the risk on Home Depot and Lowe's is that they are crowded. The stores are crowded, but the risk is that what people are buying is lower margin. They're buying things that are smaller. They're not buying the big windows and the and you know like people are like stalling in terms of, of construction because you can't get permits. So like a lot of the contractors are buying less of the big high margin stuff, and they're you know these kind of little things like wind you know. Clorox and stuff like that is not, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of decipher what they're selling at Home Depot and Lowe's. That's the risk. But I do like that data point. Thank you. Uh, Constellation Brand, 1245 Brian Cruz, Constellation Brands, now that restaurants are opening. Guys, I really regret not buying Constellation Brands because I had every intention to buy it and completely forgot because we were so, this is what it's all about noise and, and distraction. We were so yeah. distracted with so many things that that was like the one stock I forgot to buy. And I don't even know what it's trading at right now. Um, so Constellation Brands, now that restaurants are reopening, that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of the last big thing for them. I would be open to looking into Constellation Brands again. I need to research it further. I got to pull my data uh, on all the drinks, all the brands, uh, and to see, I'd be open to it, but they might be trading at close to highs again, which would make it less interesting for me. Uh, I don't know where they're trading right now. Del Taco earnings. I have no idea. I don't follow Del Taco. Climate Searon. I'm looking at some of these, you know, we don't Disney earnings tomorrow. That's one to talk about If The park cinemas aren't opening soon. They might be in trouble. Even if they open and nobody goes, it's going to be a huge hit for revenue. I sold all of my Disney stock except for 1,000 shares, which for me is not a lot of Disney. I am actually quite negative on Disney right now. Uh, I am, you know, even though I technically still have 1,000 shares of Disney, Javier, uh, I am just really cautious on Disney here. Yeah. Really cautious. And you, only, you only have that because that's your forever stock, right? It's my forever stock and I've owned it for so long. I have a, you know, I have gains in it and I just, it, it is my forever stock. I listen, I know things like that are, are stupid to say stuff like that. I just feel like I got to keep on to at least a thousand shares of Disney. I would love to see Disney get rocked on earnings this week and, and go down 20 points. And I might buy them there again. I might add to my position, but right now I'm kind of light on Disney. We have, we have oh. someone ask how much money I have in crypto. I'm going to find out for you right now, and I'll let you know. I oh, no also, idea. Nathan I, I never Crum, watch it. 
Why did we invest in SpaceX? But Jordan, especially since Chris thinks Musk is a crook. Jordan, I think Jordan, you could speak for, I think you just, we had a lot going on. The market was falling apart. Jordan, as you, if you guys don't know, he's the more conservative out of the three of us. And like when the, when the, we're in a global pandemic and the market's falling apart, Jordan didn't want to throw money at an experimental rocket company. <laughs> I don't blame him at all. Yeah, look, I mean, so the um, I love what he's doing with with SpaceX. My biggest problem is that, you know, it's not a it's not a he's come out and said that he does not want to take that thing public and that it doesn't make sense to take it public. Um, and so just from that standpoint, that makes it really hard. Now, they do have the spinoff with the sat with the um, uh, Internet satellite um, bit, which could be worth every bit of that investment. I didn't see any upside from there, though. Um, so, you know, I, I would like to own some, but I just it was it was too expensive for me for it, what it was. It's it's reasonable, and you know, there was a small part of me that you know when I'm hanging out with some of the guys that like West Coast VC guys, and we could you know I could talk about the fact that I'm in SpaceX because all of them are, and yeah. there's some stu- there's some stupid elements. I felt I felt the same way Jordan feels. I feel the spinoff IPO and the satellite company. I hope is likely to make up for my entire investment in SpaceX. And then I kind of get the SpaceX for free. So the SpaceX becomes yeah. coffee table talk for the next 15 years that hopefully I get for free if the satellite company IPOs. And, and that's worth what I invest in 30 billion valuation that we invested at SpaceX in. So that was kind of the thesis, but I definitely do not uh, blame Jordan for not investing in that one at all. And for anyone who's keeping track, here is a, snapshot i just took of my entire crypto uh portfolio it's worth uh $74,000 as of right this very second uh the majority of it is in bitcoin dave but dave listen to me this now this is a screenshot this is dave. a screenshot for anyone who uh wants to post this to our uh subreddit listen yes. to me now dave sell it all Ta- sell it today sell it all put your money into uh, Peloton $30 calls. <laughs> no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Just put, put it, put it into, uh, put it into Peloton stock or maybe some $30 calls. Then you can buy this stupid crypto back next week. Okay. Or later this week and make some money. <laughs> I'm a, I'm, I'm writing down $30 strike price Peloton calls. I'm going to, I'm going to paper trade $74,000 and see how it does compared to this uh, random crypto portfolio that I, I literally never check. I, I couldn't have told you how many dollars uh, was in that portfolio. Oh, oh, I'm so glad I sold all my crypto. There's nothing against crypto. I have nothing against crypto at all. It, it, it's just, I don't understand <laughs> it. That's all. It's just, it's, it could be the greatest investment of all time for the next 20 years. It's just, again, because I don't have, a clear understanding of how to value it. It's just not for me, or I don't have a clear advantage in investing in it over the, over the market. I'm not going to do it. Um, guys, I, I hate I to have, do this. I have to look real quick and see what the reaction to that portfolio is. Um, they're saying sell Bitcoin into Bitcoin cash, get rid of BSV2. You got to uh, listen to Leon, man. Leon, Leon will tell knows. you exactly what to do with that crypto portfolio. Yeah. <laughs> 
So yeah, if I, were to do any, to be, if I were to do any of it, I would do what Leon told me to do, but I'm not. Yeah. What I'm going to do is I'm going to, um, Leon, if you could just summarize for me what I should do in my crypto portfolio, and I will do that, and we'll see how that does compared to Chris's $30 strike Peloton calls that okay. I will also. And we're going to keep track of all of this because we have our big Peloton episode this Wednesday. On that note, uh, my wife Eastern is going to ban me from YouTube if I don't get those groceries in with her right now. So, guys, <laughs> I am out. Come back. Wednesday is going to be an awesome episode. You're going to see me lose big or win big on Wednesday, and I'll disclose my rationale during market hours I, so you understand exactly what I've been up to. Call it 100 hours of Peloton research. And I had there's one major risk factor that can blow up the entire trade, and I'm so nervous about it right now. Uh, I'm I would say I'm I'm relatively high conviction, kind of sitting somewhere between medium, probably a medium conviction, maybe high, but probably more medium than high. Um, anyway, I'm in Wednesday Peloton. We're gonna have it out. Me, and Dave, and Jordan. You're on my side, right? I'm on your side. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So we'll we'll see how this all I goes think. down this Wednesday. Thank you guys so much for watching. If you haven't smashed the like button, please do that now. We need you to do that because it tells it tells YouTube that this video is good to watch. And uh, if you are into podcasts, you can listen to our podcast. We're on all of them. And that's all we've got for today. Thank you guys so much for watching. We are Dumb Money. We'll see you on Wednesday. Mm.